Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. It's August the 25th. Wrapping up another week here on Fantasy NBA Today. Next week will take us into September, the month before the season starts. The official true ramp up. I've been stretching the ramp up here on Fantasy NBA Today because I just want to feel better about distance between us and season. We are now officially under, starting as of uh, today, under two months away from opening night in the association. Oh, boy. Long offseason this year. Extra week, actually, when you think about it because uh, last year the uh, season started on what? Like October 18th? This year it starts on October 24th, so the season ended a week earlier. Offseason's long enough already. Hi again, everyone. I'm Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. We have a uh, recon mock taking place a little bit later on today on the on this podcast channel. We actually ran it live on YouTube beforehand. Kind of wake myself up. I am tired, people. I needed the recon mock to wake my butt up here before doing the regular podcast. And it didn't really do it. Um, recon mock went strangely. I tried to do a 14-teamer, but nobody joined it. So then I did a 10-teamer, and a bunch of people left after four rounds. So we got a quick hitter over on the mock side. But there's so much stuff going on over on the Sports Ethos YouTube right now. YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. We got mocks, three of those a week here for me. The football guys are running multiple mocks per week. It is, uh, it's a heater over there. Finally. Been waiting so long to get that YouTube stuff cooking. Meanwhile, over here on Fantasy NBA Today, the traditional daily podcast, uh, we are working our way through the next chunk of players. Yesterday, we broke into that next group with basically what I think we referred to as, I don't know, I forgot what bucket number we're on, but it's been, the, the gap between Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges is where we're at right now. That group is Bridges, Donovan Mitchell, Freddie Van Vliet, Demonis Sabonis, James Harden, Trey Young is probably that list. It seems right now like Desmond Bain might be in it. But he's also seemingly right on the borderline with the next group, in my eye, that kind of starts with Lowry Markinen. But we'll see how that all shakes out. Bain is extremely polarizing, and we'll get to him probably towards the end of this chunk. But let's just go ahead and dive on in with some of the next names. Yesterday we talked about Donovan Mitchell and how he'd been moving his way forward in this pack, but he's not the first AD peer in this group. And that is Mikhail Bridges, who had been an incredible value for a very, very long time while playing with Phoenix. But as is the case with basically everyone in the NBA, when they start scoring buckets, people start drafting him sooner. Last two months last year, which is basically the time he was in Brooklyn, Bridges averaged 26 points per game way up from his number in Phoenix. But you'll also note that his other stats basically all went down when he arrived in Brooklyn. Not all of them. They, you know, the the strict usage stuff didn't go down, but basically everything related to efficiency did take a dip. 
He played 30 or uh, 56, excuse me, regular season games with the Suns last year, averaged 17.2 points, 4.3 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.8 blocks on 1.4 turnovers. He shot 46% from the field, 90 at the free throw line, and at 1.83s per game. Not surprisingly, his role in Brooklyn was, by all accounts, better. He took 18.5 shots per game. That's an insane usage spike from 13.5 in Phoenix. So his scoring went up from 17 to 26. Free throws up from 3.1 to 6.6. Percentage roughly stayed the same. In fact, field goal percent largely stayed the same between the two destinations. But steals and blocks is where you actually saw the biggest dip. Assists also, by the way, went from 3.6 to 2.7 because he was taking most of the shots. But steals went from 1.2 down to 1, blocks from 0.8 down to 0.6. We have questions to answer on Mikael Bridges this year, but before we even get to those, it's also worth noting that despite those massive leaps in usage stuff, he sat only at number 25 on a per-game ranking over those final two months. Yes, you can kind of split hairs a little bit and look at the players in front of him and say stuff like, okay, well... You know, Jared Allen was on a particularly good run. He probably doesn't stay in front of Bridges. Jalen Williams was on an insane run. Maybe he doesn't stay in front. But you can also make that argument about some of the guys that are behind him and just say, all right, this stuff probably evens out. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Bridges right now is being drafted partially for his durability in addition to that uptick in usage. Is there a reason, let's try to do this from a pros and cons standpoint, the pros with Bridges is that you know he's the focal point of this Nets team. He's going to get a ton of shots and free throws. Free throws is going to be a nice positive impact category. Threes probably will be as well. Points probably will be as well. But what we don't know is will field goal percent put a dent into his value or help it because he's had stretches I mean he's had seasons where he shot 52 53 percent that's almost definitely not happening in Brooklyn rebounds are where they are assists are where they are can the steals and blocks come back a little bit or is this what I like to refer to as Josh Richardsonitis where a guy who posted big defensive stats took on a larger offensive role and then they just vanished I know that's something that's been happening for decades in the NBA but it's Richardson is probably your most recent very obvious example of that when he was back down in Miami the initial go-round the fact that Bridges is scoring 26 points a game is nice Um, from a head-to-head standpoint the fact that he has more clear positives makes him probably an easier player to build around but on the Roto side, this was a guy that we relied upon for that across-the-board stuff, for the positives in steals and blocks, for the positives in both percentages, for the very low turnovers. And a lot of that stuff is no longer a guarantee. So Bridges kind of is going from a Roto guy to a head-to-head guy with this big bump-up in usage. Reasons to not draft Bridges at 18 or 19 or wherever we're seeing him go at some point, sometimes even 17 here. Reasons to not do it, it's hard for him to get into that uppermost group unless he brings back some of the defensive stats that we saw taper off in Brooklyn. 
Can it be done? Absolutely. Because you look at his numbers right now, and if you extrapolate those over an entire season, if he went for 26, 4.5, 2.5, 2.5, 1.6, decent, etc., like, being late second round and being drafted mid-second round is not a problem, especially when you consider the fact that dude played in 83 games last year. Because he went to a team that still had an extra game during the, the trade from Phoenix. He had played on a team that had more games early and then went to a team that had more games late. So he got in an extra regular season game. I know, again, he didn't do anything in it, but that did happen. There was also a stretch. Well, I'm, I guess I'm pivoting off of it. The reasons not to draft McHale at this spot is if other players in Brooklyn start to take some of that usage away, then it does limit some of the upside. Uh, other reason not to do it is that he hasn't really had a super prolonged stretch where he's been top 17 or better. He's had short bursts of it, but then uh, equally short or sometimes slightly longer bursts where he's out of that group. I do think there are probably more reasons to like McHale in this range than there are reasons to dislike him. Reason number one, to like him. Bridges has played in every damn basketball game for seemingly half a decade in a row now. That is something you just don't see in the NBA. Yeah, it'll come to an end at some point, but his durability is insane. 83 games this year, 82 last year, 72 the year before that, 73 back in the COVID year, 82 the season before that. He is a pillar of durability, and it's frankly the only reason they put him in that last game for four seconds was to keep this thing going. We saw this with Cat. Eventually, the durability runs out, and when it does, it tends to be ugly. But there weren't there aren't really any signs that it's specifically coming for Bridges yet. Perhaps the uptick in doing stuff could play a role. But you draft him at 18, 17, 18, something like that in here, and his per game is 25. He, given his very strong 10th category numbers in the past, you assume he's going to push past that mark by totals. And for those that are hunting per game upside alone, you're not without reasons to do it also. If Bridges somehow bumps the field goal percent back from 47.5 to 49, which, I don't know, does it happen? Probably not, but could it? Yeah. Then he goes from 25 to 23, 22. If the steals go from 1.2 or 1 to 1.2 or 1.3 again, that's another two or three slots he bumps up the board. If the blocks go from 0.6 back to 0.8, which I don't think we can bank on that because his blocks have bounced around quite a bit. They were 0.4 one year, 0.9 a year, 0.6, 0.6, 0.8. They're all over the map. Steals have been pretty reliably around 1.2. So is is this Brooklyn 1.0, is that the new norm for Bridges, or is it going to be back to 1.2 again? So there's these little things that can happen for him that would push him from 25 back up to, you know, basically like that 18, 19, 20 range. And they're all pretty reasonable things that could happen. They probably won't all happen at the same time, but there's a little bit of per-game upside over 25 with not much beyond 18. And to those of you that are like, Dan, 
Bridges did have like a two or three week stretch in Brooklyn where he was number five in the NBA or something like that in fantasy sports. Yeah, he was shooting about 53% on 20 shots a game. That's just not going to last an entire season. We have to be real with ourselves. So, this all comes back to one key question. Dan, would you take Mikhail Bridges in this group of players? My answer to that is yes, I would. Um, is he my favorite of the bunch? Eh, probably not. Um, and I screwed up the order we were going to talk about things. because I, I think I said on yesterday's podcast we were going to go um, based on the order that they finished last year, so that should have been James Harden to start. And Bridges actually would have been one of the later ones, but he had half a season in Phoenix, so I felt like there was kind of extenuating circumstances there. And he's generally going at the front end of this group. I like Bridges because you're going to get you're almost, I can't say definitely, because nothing is definite, weird things happen, but you're very likely going to get about 90% of games played. He just does that. A bad injury can happen to anyone. It's less likely to happen to guys that just have that thing. Anthony Edwards is one of them. Guys that just find a way to kind of avoid the little bumps and bruises that other guys don't. So, odds that Mikhail Bridges beats... His ADP by totals, pretty damn good. Odds that he beats his ADP by per game, not good at all. And if you're comfortable with that, then great. And there are times that I will be. Like, if you have, if you ended up with Anthony Davis in the first round and somehow you can get Mikhail Bridges in the second round, it's not a terrible idea because you're like, well, like, my first rounder is kaput for 25 games, but at least I'm getting second round value out of this guy every single day. Or do you take the opposite approach? Say, well, I got Anthony Davis in the first round. Uh, his injury would detonate my entire season. I might as just, I might as well just go all upside here and take another swing in the second round. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I actually believe that there are merits to both of those discussions. I did that in one league last year. I took Joel Embiid in the first. I took Kyrie Irving in the second. I was just like, all right, just let it rip, man. If one of these guys goes down, I'm probably cooked. So, Or if Embiid goes down, I'm probably cooked. So I might as well just take other guys that are like, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. The team did pretty well. I think they made it to the semis. And then I think Kyrie got shut down. And then it blew things up a little bit. Anyway, end your league sooner is the lesson on that one. So, Mikhail Bridges, does he deserve to be in this group of players? Yes, because a lot of people value totals and a lot of people value per game, and his totals rank is is likely going to blitz 
his other one. Um, does he have the per-game upside of a Donovan Mitchell? Probably not. Per-game upside of a James Harden? Probably not. Does he have the per-game ability to match someone like uh, Demonis Sabonis or uh, Freddie Van Vliet? I'd say yes. So if you're going that route, why not take the guy who's played in every ball game for six, whatever, five, six years in a row, basically? You have one game off in there, right? And you have one game he missed. Why not? Let's go back to the discussion that I planned on having today, which was to go to the next player uh, on the rank board from last year, and that was James Harden who is obviously a very difficult player to break down right now. So you just kind of have to look at it from a couple of different standpoints. Standpoint number one, somehow James and Daryl Morey kiss and make up, and he lands back in Philadelphia. Does he replicate what he did last year, or are there changes? I'm inclined to think that there are huge changes. I just... I want to... I want to really look at the the nuances of this James Harden thing, but if you're drafting right now, I don't know how you touch James Harden. He could end up in any number of places because, like, he still had 21 points, almost 11 assists last year. He was still far better than a replacement player. Like, if, if Philly does trade him, whatever they get back is not going to be as good as what they send out. We can make fun of James Harden all we want. He's still in the... Uh, upper some percentage of players in the NBA. He has playoff issues. He doesn't move well without the basketball. He's been maligned for his defense at times. But offensively, he remains extremely gifted. And he makes teams uh, more competent. I mean, he, he won a few ball games for Philly in the playoffs before he kind of lost a few. James giveth, James taketh away. And he only played in 58 games last year. How can we possibly handicap a player where we don't know where he's going to be. Well, let's say we have no choice. James right now has an ADP of 22.5. His pre-rank is 18. No surprises there that people are a little bit afraid of him. And I think people should be mortified if they're going to take James Harden. I think they should be absolutely scared half to death by him being on the board. Because if you think this thing through, what are the places that James could go, a team that would take a chance on him, where life would get better than what he had in Philadelphia this last year? Who would take that swing? Let's just throw names out there. You ain't going back to Brooklyn, so stop that. Cavs, no. Celtics, no. Bucks, no. Let's just look at the teams at the top of the East and see if any of them would think about it. Knicks, it's not insane, but they're likely waiting to try to get Donovan Mitchell. So, no. Hawks, only, I mean, they'd have to move one of the guys alongside Trey Young or Trey Young. That probably ain't happening. I Look, I'm not even looking at the contract stuff. So, don't, if I'm saying something stupid... And you're like, Dan, the contracts don't work. I don't care. Just just walk with me down this road. Let's say in a magical world he gets traded to the Hawks for Trey Young. Yeah, his role probably gets better. What are the odds that happens? Basically zero. 
Miami's a team that's on the board. If they don't land Dame, they could pivot and try to go for Harden. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that Jimmy Butler would want around, but you never know. Jimmy is a little more intense than Harden, but let's, again, for handicapping purposes here, let's just say that this is a possibility. He ends up in Miami. His role is not that dissimilar than what it was from what it was here in Philadelphia. Um, Embiid is a higher usage guy than anybody the Heat have, but the Heat have Jimmy Butler. They also have Bam Adebayo. Presumably Tyler Hero would go back the other way. Would Harden be asked to do more? I don't think so. So call it similar. Chicago's an interesting one. We've heard their name kicked around. Zach Levine would be someone that'd get rolled into it. Um, If they then move on from DeMar DeRozan, I don't know. How do you make a trade like that for Harden and then blow it up? So DeMar would still be there. Vooch would still be there. Harden's role would be pretty damn similar to what it was in Philadelphia. Most of the teams that would consider a flyer like this, his role would stay relatively similar and in a best-case scenario, like you could maybe argue that if he ended up on Chicago, does he just get Zach Levine's usage straight out? Probably. Zach had 18 shots, but only four assists, five free throws. The usage pretty much balances out. There just isn't a place that's going to go, all right, old man James Harden, you go ahead and you just do everything everything that that world isn't around anymore the the Harden led Houston Rockets don't exist anywhere he goes he's gonna be sharing the floor with somebody because a terrible team isn't gonna go get him that's nuts don't blow up your rebuild to go get James Harden and maybe inch your way into the back end of a playoff picture so it feels to me like last year's Per game production for James was probably about as good as it's going to be for him this late in his career. Unless the steals come back a little, that's uh, the one spot you'd be like, well, maybe. He's also been badly dinged up the last, like, three, four seasons in a row now. I don't know that that magically gets better, especially if he's in, you know, lounge about and get out of town mode, which it seems like it is. The short version of my, and and I know that this is going to rub some people the wrong way, and I don't typically have like a do not draft list. I think that's crazy. Um, It's where would you consider taking a guy? Uh, For Harden, not here. Pre-rank of 18, could he beat that on a per-game basis? I mean, yeah. You know, he was 17 last year, but I don't think he's going much beyond that. 17, 16, if a bunch of guys completely fall apart, 15, but massive risk to miss a bunch of ball games. And there isn't that first round to Harden anymore. When you're like, Dan, you talk sometimes about how you like guys like Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can get those guys at 11 or 12 and they could go on a run where they're the number one player in fantasy for two months. Okay, well, that's why you take a risk like that. James Harden, take him at 18. Is there a run he could go on where he'd be like the number seven, eight guy for a couple of weeks? Yeah, maybe. But it's going to level off. Now, if we find out later on we know where he's going, that becomes a very different monster. The fear for me right now, I think the absolute worst case scenario is he stays put in Philadelphia because he won't be trying at all. and His numbers will suffer and his conditioning will suffer. You're going to have hamstring stuff with him. It's all right there, written down, waiting for us to read it. 
at least if you move him to another city, you'll get a slightly more motivated James Harden. So at least then you're like, okay, I think the per game numbers are going to be good. He's going to be trying to do what he did in Philly this year. Maybe he gets there, maybe he doesn't. And then you're only just worried about, can he stay upright? But right now, there's too many ways that this could go wrong. A holdout of some length. I know there's only so long a guy can hold out before they're in sort of breach of contract. But holdouts are a possibility. Playing out of shape feels like an even larger possibility. Just make yourself available, but make it so that your coach doesn't want to run you out there at all. What a mess. Don't try to be a hero, people. You can, can't win your league with your second round pick, but you can sure as crap lose it. And there is a non-zero chance that James Harden comes into this season just wildly out of shape. I know he wants to get his next contract, so maybe he'll be, like, conditioning won't be a problem, but that doesn't mean that the effort needs to be perfect. Everybody knows that he's at odds, and other GMs are going to be like, yeah, he's not putting effort in because he doesn't want to be there. It's a little different than if he, like, eats himself out of the league. I don't think that's happening this time, but the effort side is very much a possibility. So, would I take James Harden at pick 17? Because that's basically what we're asking here. Donovan Mitchell was a yes. Mikael Bridges was a yes. James Harden is a no. I know a lot of folks are going to be lured in by the possibility of a 10.5 assist player. Assists are so juicy. Everybody loves assists, and I get it. They're not that prevalent. There were only nine guys in the NBA that averaged eight assists or more last year. So they're hard to get. And James Harden led the league in assists last year. So I get it, people. I really, truly understand why you want to take this chance. But I'm telling you, it's terrifying right now more than ever. I'll add the very small caveat on the James Harden front that if we did this breakdown again on October 19th and we know he's a member of the, I don't know, Chicago Bulls and he's part of a big three with DeMar DeRozan and Vooch, then I might take him at 17 because in that instance, he probably is a top 18 per game guy and he's probably feeling better about things. But what if he's a clipper? James Harden on the Clippers between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I know those guys miss a lot of ball games, but he is not getting that level of usage. Not with two of those guys next to him. He got this alongside Joel Embiid, one very high usage center, but not two. Those three-headed monsters, man. We, we twist ourselves into knots trying to convince ourselves that there's always going to be enough for everyone, but there's very rarely enough for everyone. Very rarely. Especially now when the guys at the top of the fantasy board are putting up these freaking pinball machine numbers. Do I have time for one more on today's show? Yeah, we can do one more. One more name on today's show. And again, we're going in order of how they finished last year. And the next one would actually be Larry Markkinen, but we have him in the next group. The next one in this group is Freddie Van Vliet. And I kind of wish that wasn't the next name because I feel like I have a lot to say on him. And I don't want to rush it. But we're sort of towards the tail end of this thing. Anyway, let's see how it goes here. Uh, first, a reminder before we get into Freddie Van Fleet. You guys now have less than a week to get the all-sport fantasy pass for only $7 a month. That price is going up to 10 
when the NBA Draft Guide content drops, which is less than a week from today, less than a week, if you are only playing fantasy basketball in your life forever, fine. Just get the Fantasy Pass NBA. That's $6, and I think it's staying $6 this season. I believe it's going up to 7 next year. Don't quote me on that today, but fairly certain. Still good to get it and lock in the 6 forever, but uh, not going up a week from today. But if you're ever going to play football or baseball, whether that's for a cash league or free, we're talking about the difference of $1 per month. Month. Fantasy Pass NBA is 6 Fantasy Pass All Sport is 7 $1 a month. Call it a freaking donation to Sports Ethos for all the winnings we've been able to accrue for you over the years. I don't care whatever you want to call it. This is the best deal that you're ever going to have at the website. All Sport Fantasy Pass, $7 a month, includes the early Brewski 150. It has our NFL draft guide rolling right now with the ranks on that front. It'll have all the NBA content. It'll have baseball content. Well, they got in-season stuff going right now, but it'll have all the baseball draft guide run-up stuff in January, February. Get it for $7 a month. Lock it in. It's going up to 10 after that. And again, these fantasy passes during draft season, they do have a commitment where we've talked about it before. Six-month commitment, you save $18 on that. That's good enough for two and a half extra months of the Fantasy Pass All Sport. And who knows what the price does down the line. Three, four years from now, it'll be higher, and you can still be rolling at $7 a month. This is like the folks that have the hoop ball. Hoop ball, that's what it was called then. 360, that has all the sports, DFS, and gambling. That was initially, I think, $12 a month, and some folks got it that very first time and just left it on forever. That's like half the price that it is now. So get it, get these things, lock in the price, and as long as you leave it on, your price will never change. Freddie Van Vliet, last player we're going to talk about on today's show. Pre-rank of 17, going later than that, 21. There's a lot of fear around Freddie of what his role is going to look like in Houston. This past season in Toronto, he averaged 19 points, 7 assists per game, 1.8 steals, 0.6 blocks, 3 three-pointers, and 90% of the free throw line on 4 shots per game. I may be in the minority here, but I actually don't think that his role is going to be that different in Houston. Maybe the biggest change is that the players that surround him in Houston are a little more trigger-happy. Where in Toronto, Pascal Siakam was taking a lot of shots. What was the number last year on Siakam on field goal attempts? It was around 18. 18 and a half was the number there. Um, OG Ananobi was only at 13. What was Scotty Barnes at? Barnes was at 13. And so Van Vliet had an opportunity to take a lot of shots. He took 16 shots a ball game. With Houston, I think his job pivots a little bit towards just being the floor leader that team badly needs. Guys like Jalen Green that are going to take a lot of shots. Alperin Shengun's going to take a handful of shots. What was Sengun, what was Shengun at this last year? Only 11. That number, I don't know if that number goes up actually because I'm a little worried about the Jack Landale thing. But we don't need to get into that. Uh, Jalen Green, who, oh, was he even in the top 200? Yeah, he was uh, number 202 last year. He took 18 shots per ball game, so that's the Siakam number. 
Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. was at 11. I mean, you look through all this stuff. Kevin, what was Kevin Porter Jr. at? I almost forgot about Kevin Porter. He was the point guard there last year. He was at 15. He kind of gets displaced here. So you're probably dealing with a few... If you're Van Vliet, you probably don't have quite as many shots per game, but you're feeding all of these guys. It really does feel like with Toronto, where you had a lot of guys initiating, Houston, it's going to be a lot of Freddie initiating. Dylan Brooks is in that first unit, most likely. He'll be chucking up shots, not initiating, really. Kevin Porter was the guy who started a lot of the offense, but he'll probably be coming off the bench this coming year. So... Overall, we kind of have to come to the same conclusion, which is the the same one we have with Devin Booker. Usage equals value. Booker's usage probably goes down a little bit this year. His role is going to be pretty different as well. Freddie Van Vliet is a better passer, so maybe that mitigates a little bit of it, and his steals are also extraordinarily high, which ragtag bunch in Houston, I don't expect to see that drop off very much. He's also been a little banged up, so you've got that old man thing going on. And I don't know that there's really a way for his value to improve over last year unless his field goal percent somehow jumps, which feels more anomalous than something you could actually predict. He was at 39.5% last year, his career around 40, so not that far off. But like you could see in just a better shooting year, he shoots like 41% instead of 39.5%. Would that mitigate some other losses? It would, but we can't bank on that. So my expectation for Van Vliet is that he takes fewer shots per game. The assists you might see go up a little bit from 7 to maybe 8. That's probably not enough to cover the losses in the other usage categories. Free throws. If free throws gets worse, if points, threes get worse, and the things that get better are assists and then field goal percent because you know he'd just be taking fewer shots, the bad would outweigh the good in that scenario. Maybe he surprises us all and he gets right back to these same kind of numbers, but I I, I do think that there's a very small drop-off there. I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that he's going as early as he is. Freddie Van Vliet is someone that, you know, last year he was going later because people had lost trust in him, but he built up his trust with a slightly better year. Um, Folks seem okay with the fact that the Rockets, like, he's going to have a big role with the Rockets. Don't get me wrong. They paid him $40 million to come there and try to write the ship. But I think he's going to be asked to write the ship in a way that's not just taking a lot of three-pointers. It's going to be a different role. So would I take Freddie Van Vliet to pick 17? I would not. For me, he falls. And again, this is kind of like how we're bucketing players out. Bridges was a yes. Mitchell was a yes. Harden, for now, was a no. Van Vliet is a no. We're bucketing them out. Right now, I've just told you that, in my mind, Bridges and Mitchell are in a slightly earlier bucket than Freddie and James. I like calling players by their first name. We feel like they're my buddies. Freddie, James, Donnie, Mikey. (laughs) I've never never done that before. The baseball broadcaster me just does not allow me to say first names. I've always gone by last name. And then I know I often forget to talk, remind everybody who the hell we're talking about. Podcaster's nightmare. I see the name on my screen, but I got to say it 
more times to all of you guys. Anyway, I'll put a pin in this thing for now. I think there's a couple more players in this group. Uh, Demonis Sabonis, Trey Young, I believe, were the two names that uh, we want to finish up this group. We'll definitely do that next week. Mondays are ADP analysis day, so uh, if we don't get to the players on Monday, we'll get to them on Tuesday. We'll have another mock on Monday. Um, please, again, make sure to go check out sportsethos.com or uh, youtube.com slash sportsethos. I always flip-flop those. But also head to sportsethos.com and check out the All Sport Fantasy Pass, $7 a month for just a couple more days. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I am at Dan Bespris on social, a representative of the fine folks at Sports Ethos. See you all on Monday.